Welcome to the third quarter GWK Investment Management Client Call. This is Dan Fasciano, Director of Private Wealth at GWK. Joining me as always is our Chairman and Chief Investment Officer, Harold Kotler, as well as Bill Sterling, our firm's global strategist. This call represents the views and opinions of GWK Investment Management and does not constitute investment advice, nor should it be considered predictive of any future market performance. Harold, I'll start with you. Obviously, Israel is on people's minds. When you think about the conflict and its potential for regional expansion, what advice would you share with clients? I need to first make a comment. I've thought about this. I knew Dan was going to ask me this question, and without being political, I needed to figure out a clear answer. Hamas has engaged in the elimination of the state of Israel since its inception. It's in its charter. Um, there's been many incursions, but this last one is a full-scale war. During a war, unfortunately, innocent people are killed, whether it be Hiroshima, Nagasaki, um, Pearl Harbor, or Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam, etc. It is a war, and Israel will not stop until they eliminate Hamas. I promise you that. And whatever repercussions they're about to have to absorb from world attitude and psychology, they will. They will not stop. And as a result, I'm sure many of the Arab governments will go on uh, the line and say they want to disrupt their relationships with Israel. They have to keep the streets quiet. I really understand why they need to do this. Um, whether it be it uh, Egypt or Jordan or any of the Emirates. So that's the reality of it. And as it relates to the anti-Semitism, most of us realize that it's alive and well and just now uh, obnoxiously uh, on, the, on the top of everybody's minds. So what does it mean? It means more stress in the system, more separation between people, and uh, a very disjointed world that we're living in. And I think it has really significance on a recovery and the economy as we go into this election year. You touched on a number of, um, obviously, emotional and political and global topics there. Bill, I want to take that, though, and put it into a place where we can't model exogenous events. You are the firm's global strategist. When you look at geopolitical tensions or other events like that, we understand they're difficult to model. Are there scenarios that you're seeing that have larger financial or economic ramifications? And as you move forward, is there anything that you can monitor or see that would affect your thinking going into 2024? Uh, sure. Well, you know, I think as Harold alluded to, Dan, um, the, uh, you know, 
there's always a risk of the war widening and for financial markets that would probably end up focusing people on what it meant for oil prices. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it um, that uh, we're still trading at the mid $80 level on Brent crude oil, which is up only $2 from before the brutal attack. And um, I think that indicates that the markets are fairly confident that this will be contained to um, a war on Gaza um, without broader global macro uh, implications. Now, that could be wrong, of course, and there was some buying of call options on oil prices for people trying to protect themselves against the risk of a big spike if, say, Iran was to become um, you know, uh, fully engaged uh, in the war directly. It's obviously behind the scenes, very engaged indirectly. But I think the markets are um, really having to grapple with what does it mean for oil prices? Because if we look at other Mideast crises in the past that have been associated with big macro shocks to the U.S. and to the developed world, it's always been due to a spike in oil prices. Like in 1973, I think they they tripled after the Yom Kippur War. Um, but uh, at, at so far, that doesn't seem to be... Um, expected. There's even some speculation that the Saudis may increase output to put downward pressure on oil prices uh, in some sense to punish Iran because they know they've been the big spoiler in this whole event. But monitoring oil prices, I think, will be pretty critical in thinking about the um, overall effect. And actually, gasoline prices have been uh, coming down over the last six weeks um, in the U.S. So, so far, I think the markets are viewing this as something that uh, will be contained without a big macro impact uh, on the U.S. economy. I think it's very important that people realize that uh, that the tension between Iran and, and Saudi Arabia is serious. Um, it's two different worlds. And uh, <clears throat> although Saudi Arabia won't come out uh, and support Israel's position, I think they were very much looking forward to having some diplomatic relationship with Israel, knowing full well that the oil and gas industry in 20 or 30 years will disappear, and they need Israel uh, intelligence and technology to develop their economy. He understands that, and in the long run, that's what's going to happen. So I think you're right. I think Saudi Arabia, in its own way, will keep... Uh, um, the, um, from exasperating the problem. That's great perspective and context from the two of you. Harold, I don't know if I can make an elegant pivot, but I want to bring it domestically for a moment if I could. And certainly don't want to cut the conversation off short, but um, the Fed recently met, and for a second time in a row, uh, they kept rates steady. So if we were to use the 10-year Treasury as a proxy for rates, it's now north of four and three quarters. That's a percentage point higher than where it was when we started the year, and it's 4% higher than it was three years ago. When you talk to clients, given that, what are you telling them to do? I'm telling them this is the last opportunity to lock in long-term rates at these high levels that um, in some period of time, and, and I'm, I think it's ridiculous to try to forecast three months, six months, nine months a year, uh, long rates will peak if they haven't already. Uh, they hit five and now they're below five. 
Um, and people are getting caught and being solicitous by that short-term interest rates. I've taught my people over my 50 years that rate times time equals distance. You can get 5% for one day, but how does that compare to 5% for 10 years? And <clears throat> it's so easy to get caught and thinking that you're investing in money market at 5%, but that's not investing, it's speculating. It's all right to keep some money there, but to invest, that is not investing. You've been pretty consistent with that. I think at uh, some point we're going to hit everybody and they're all going to listen, so I appreciate you kind of saying it again. You know, Bill, I want to stay on the rate topic with you, but I want to steer your attention in a slightly different direction. Two areas where higher rates seemingly haven't had a bite are consumption and residential housing. When you think about both, are we missing anything, and what are you looking for in either those sectors or to the larger macroeconomic environment when we go into 2024? Sure. Well, I think the strength in consumption has surprised pretty much everyone this year. You know, the third quarter GDP numbers just came out. It was up running at a 4% annual rate. Uh, I think it's largely been supported by the tight labor market. Um, but there are numerous signs we think that the labor market will cool in coming months and quarters, and uh, that will probably dampen consumption. And consumption is also going to be challenged by the sharp rise in debt servicing costs outside of uh, mortgages. And what's interesting about mortgages is because so many people took advantage of the low rates of the last few years, they locked in low rate mortgages. The average outstanding mortgage rate uh, is you know something like three and a half percent even at a time when the new mortgage rates are approaching 8%. Um, so that's kind of frozen the housing market. It had a kind of a counterintuitive effect on home building because people aren't willing to sell their existing home because they'd have to uh, abandon their low rate mortgage. Um, and as a result, the supply of housing has been restricted, which has kept housing prices up. And home builders have stepped into that frozen market to say, well, we can supply uh, homes, and we can also offer sort of concessionary rates on financing. So that sector surprisingly was up in the third quarter as well, residential housing, particularly single family housing. But that sector probably will face challenges as these new and higher mortgage rates continue. And I think if if the Fed is you know, truly committed to this higher for longer um, scenario, then it, uh, you know, it, it would almost necessarily dampen the the house the residential housing sector going forward but uh, much depends on you know as Harold says you often in these periods of inverted yield curves and, and fed tightening often find out the fed has to turn on a dime and rates start coming down so uh, that's what we're going to be monitoring carefully you know if you think about the homeowner with this low mortgage and now his cash is earning five percent it's a double um positive uh, impact for consumption. It's it's a really a windfall, never mind the amount of money that was distributed from the federal government. So there is a window that is very unique, and I agree with you completely. No one's going to walk away from a 2.5% mortgage, um, well, not willingly at least. So it's there's an economic windfall to that. But I think that is has its own short-term phenomena. 
And uh, sooner or later, reality sets in and the savings dissipate and loans increase, credit cards and everything else. And uh, there'll be some pressure on the consumer. Well, and we're starting to see those savings that were really accumulated during the pandemic and just following it start to get depleted. So you're you're really saying it's a kind of temporary event and, and that seems to be playing out that way. You know, in my last quarterly letter, I compared COVID to World War II, um, that it was a total anomaly of events. I know it's it's hard to compare the two, but what it did is it, it changed the playing field dramatically and it took time for it to balance out. Uh, and uh, after World War II, it took seven or eight years. And now you know, we're only two, three years into this evaluation. Mm. But it will, it will find its way to some normal behavior. Mm. Harold, I'm going to stay on a topic here that Bill kind of raised, and that is he mentioned debt servicing. We're hearing more and more about the federal debt and deficit recently. You know, what's your take, and when you think about what the implications might be for investors over the next several years, do you draw any conclusions? I think it's very important. I think the level of debt is not important. <clears throat> While everybody was refinancing their homes at 2%, mm-hmm. the Fed, I mean the uh, federal government, foolishly didn't lock in long-term debt at the same time, and they kept their duration short. So they're going to get hit continually with higher and higher interest rates. And that debt service coverage is a big deal. That takes away discretionary spending. It puts pressure on the budget. It means you have to borrow more to meet the demands of society. And it exasperates, just like anybody else who's in debt and can't pay the interest, and they borrow to pay the interest, and next thing you know, they're bankrupt. Now, the U.S. government may not go bankrupt, but it will certainly impact how their budget is forthcoming and what services will be provided. I think it's a very big deal. Certainly something to keep an eye on, particularly with quarterly refunding right around the corner here and and, and beyond. Um, I'm going to step off of rates for a bit. I have one question that I want to ask for both of you, but Bill, I'll ask you first and I'll let Harold get uh, the final word in. The market's been pretty narrow for some time, but particularly so this year. You've done actually some interesting work on that, Bill. You know, what do you make of the narrowness on the U.S. equity side? And I want to use that question, Bill, to kind of expand out. And where do you see value going into next year? Um, well, Dan, you know, it has been extraordinary how concentrated the gains in the U.S. equity market have been. You know, at the end of October, um, the S&P was up almost 10% for the year. But if you take out the top 10 mega cap stocks, um, those accounted for 96% of the gains of the market. And the the equally weighted um, S&P, which includes the vast majority of stocks, was down something like 4%. So that's just an indication that things have been extraordinarily narrow. Um, And now, of course, why are those top stocks up so much? You know, the so-called Magnificent Seven, the Amazons, Apples, Meta, Microsofts, NVIDIA, Tesla, and so on. The AI stocks um, were up almost 90% uh, over, um, you know, at least through mid-October for the year to date. Um, and 
probably for a good reason. We've never invented anything as fundamental as AI before historically. So there is some legitimate fundamental story there of why this is such an extraordinary uh, situation. But the key thing when we look at what this means for valuations is because the market has been so um, narrow and those leading stocks are trading at something like 45 times earnings, um, the rest of the market, the equally weighted S&P is only trading around 15 times earnings. The small cap index, Russell 2000, uh, when you focus on the profitable firms in that index is trading at around 12 times. Um, the international markets um, are trading 12 to 13 times earnings. So equity markets are really overall very, very fairly valued here. And if the Fed eases over the next year, which seems pretty likely, um, those well, sectors that have lagged uh, could be the ones that lead coming out of this. The helpful context there. Harold, similar question for you. I mean, one of the benefits I've mentioned on past calls uh, sitting next to your office is seeing the stream of investment people walk in and out throughout the day. You also chair the investment policy meeting. When you think about next year and all the conversations you're having, thoughts you're having, what most intrigues or interests you? Well, it's very interesting because I agree with exactly what Bill said about the market. <laughs> and But uh, we got a conversation with one of our young portfolio managers saying that She's getting a lot of discussion of those top seven stocks, and what should she say? Um, and since we own a couple of them, but we don't own all seven, uh, and I said to her, and I, this is important, that if any individual wants to participate in those six or seven stocks, they should do it with some some of their money. But those valuations are very high, and we as a institution and a and a a fiduciary are not going to pile into those stocks at these values um, but it's so i'm not just like cash there's nothing wrong with owning some cash at five percent there's nothing wrong with owning tesla or nvidia on your own or microsoft or any one of these stocks on your own but as diversification is still the key to success. And we don't know whether this is uh, 2000 or these companies with great cash flow will be the leaders in AI, which they may be. I can't deny that. The cash flow of these companies are in the billions. So there is that out there. It's not companies that aren't worth valuation. It's just how expensive is expensive. But so, I would give permission to everybody to participate with their own money. But you come to us for a diversified portfolio that keeps you intact, whole, and um, and safe. And uh, we're not going to chase. That's not who we are. We're disciplined. So gentlemen, I want to thank both of you for sharing your thoughts with, with me and all of us. I never exactly know where the call is going to go, but I always get a lot out of them, uh, and I appreciate that, and I hope others do as well. Uh, for everyone listening in, many thanks for your time as well. Please have a safe and happy holiday season, and the three of us will be back next quarter. Thank you.